So, what's the deal? You guys don't believe in Robot Jesus? We believe he was built and that he was a very well-programmed robot, but he wasn't our messiah. back once again to the Tech Weasel Podcast for Friday, August 7th, 2020. As always, I'm your host, Paul Huizinga, and as always, you can find my content, podcasts, blog posts, videos, other nonsense on techweasel.com. This week, we're going to be exploring a topic that got a lot of traction when I pitched it to my friends on social media. I was surprised that so many people were interested, and a lot of them made useful suggestions and helped point me toward things I should cover as part of this week's episode. Several years back, my folks were replacing their old built-in wall oven with a new one that had all sorts of fancy features. Uh, It had a convection function, it had multiple different programming options for time and temperature, and it was just generally way more sophisticated than the one that they had before. Now, since I'm the kind of guy who reads manuals, I read the manual, and I came across something interesting. This oven was equipped with a feature called Sabbath Mode. Now, when activated, it disabled the normal automatic safety shutoff that would turn off the heat if the oven was left on for more than 12 hours. Plus, it would blank the display, it would disallow changes to the temperature without going through a bunch of steps, and would also turn off the switch that activated the oven light when you open the door. Now, at the time, I knew in a general way that Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox Jews had detailed rules about how to observe the Sabbath, which is defined as sundown on Friday through sundown on Saturday. I didn't know that appliance makers were actually building features into their appliances to make their products compliant with those rules, though. Now, it makes sense. There are three-quarters of a million Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox Jews living in the U.S., and of course there's Israel, another large potential market for these kind of appliances. Now, thanks to the integration of control electronics, building in Sabbath mode is basically just some lines of code, which makes it easy to implement without a lot of additional cost. The subject came up again this week when my dad got a new refrigerator that, in addition to having Wi-Fi for some reason, even though it doesn't have a screen of any type, also has a Sabbath mode. The main features there are disabling the light switch while it's activated, and also implementing a random delay between the time the temperature inside the refrigerator or freezer goes above the preset and when the compressor kicks on. It also disables the the through-the-door ice and water dispenser. So why are these things important to observant Jews? Well, there's 39 categories of work that are prohibited during the Sabbath, but the main ones that affect the use of appliances involve cooking and baking, and the making or extinguishing of a fire. Now, I'm not a rabbi, and I don't play one on the internet, so please forgive me if I'm not completely correct on on all the details, but here are the broad strokes as I understand them. On the Sabbath, it isn't permissible to change the properties of food via heat. It must be eaten as is, but food that's prepared beforehand can be kept at an elevated temperature so hot food isn't forbidden in and of itself. An oven in Sabbath mode can be used to store prepared food for consumption, which is why being able to keep the oven running for more than 12 hours is important. The second hurdle is the starting or extinguishing of a fire, which has been interpreted by rabbinical law to include making or breaking electric circuits. Now, opening an oven door and causing the light inside to come on as a result is a violation of that law. And the same thing goes for a refrigerator. Now, this is also why an oven or a refrigerator with Sabbath mode enabled will have a random delay programmed into its thermostat so that it doesn't activate as a direct result of a person's actions. There's actually an organization called Star-K that offers certification for appliances that conform to these rules, 
and pretty much every manufacturer works with them to get their devices approved for households that strictly observe the Sabbath. There are even things like uh, electric lamps with a sliding shutter, so it's possible to block off the light or let it shine without actually powering the bulb on or turning it off. Another way I have, I have crossed paths with observation of the Sabbath is in relationship to the prohibition against writing. Uh, forming a meaningful character or a design isn't allowed on the Sabbath, and the rabbinical interpretation of this is extended to not allowing any commercial activity as it can lead to writing. Now, the way I've been affected by this is one of the major New York City-based mega retailers for photography and electronics, B&H, is owned and, and largely staffed by Hasidic Jews. Now, if you get on their website Friday afternoon, you'll note that while you, while you can still poke around in window shop and even put things in your cart, the checkout function will be disabled from local sunset until sunset on Saturday. And they're very upfront about it. On the Sabbath and on all holy days, you'll get a notice explaining when you'll be able to place your order and why they're closed online as well as in the physical world. Now, before we get into this next section, I want to make something very clear. To outsiders, a lot of the things that I'm going to describe here are going to sound like workarounds to be able to do things without violating God's law. But as it's been said by more than one Orthodox rabbi, the Torah isn't about making life impossible. The point of observing the Sabbath to the best of one's abilities is to allow for one day out of the week when everything is about faith, and there's an argument to be made that these things serve that end by making it possible for believers to function without constantly worrying that they're going to break the Sabbath. An example that a lot of non-Jewish people have experienced firsthand are elevators in high-rise buildings that stop on every floor on the Sabbath. Without them, even if you wanted to walk to the synagogue, but you were too elderly to manage multiple flights of stairs, or simply in bad health, you were out of luck. Now these are very common in certain parts of New York City, Miami, and even Los Angeles. Anywhere there's an Orthodox population, you're going to find them. Something that's less of an issue now due to uh, improved climate control technology that works automatically is the prohibition against adding fuel to a fire on the Sabbath. Now, back when homes were heated with manually stoked coal furnaces, a cold northeast winter could be a real hardship when the heat basically stopped Saturday morning, no matter how diligently you built up the fire on Friday afternoon. Thus, the quirk of the Sabbath goy had a brief time in the weekly routine for the Orthodox, when observant families would make an arrangement with a local Gentile kid to come over and visit on the Sabbath, and without anyone having to ask him, load the furnace back up with coal. Now, usually there would be some pocket change sitting in its usual spot, and maybe some baked goods waiting as a gift for the kid's family, but it was never mentioned on the Sabbath, lest commerce be conducted on that day. Even today, Goyim are responsible for handling daily chores on the Sabbath in many an Orthodox temple. Another important aspect of observing the Sabbath is not transferring things between certain domains. Now, in the world of the Orthodox faithful, there are four categories of physical spaces. There's a private domain, such as a house, a public domain, which would be something like a very wide and busy road, a semi-public domain, which is the majority of the other places you can think of, and a neutral domain, which doesn't come up much because it encompasses only very specific situations like, like the flat spot on top of a pole. The difference between private, semi-private, and public is about how something is enclosed rather than who owns it, and the rules are pretty complex. Now again, I'm not an expert, so please forgive me if I'm inaccurate in all the details, but I'll try to explain the basics of what can and can't be done under Jewish biblical law. Now, nothing may be moved from a public domain to a private domain, or vice versa, 
and rabbinical law expands this to also include semi-public spaces to prevent inadvertent violation of the less stringent biblical prohibition. It's also forbidden to move an object more than four cubits, about seven feet, inside a public domain. This becomes a problem if you want to take your keys with you when you leave the house to go to temple on Saturday, for example. Now, to solve this issue, the Orthodox faithful maintain what is called an Eruv. It's a symbolic boundary that encompasses multiple private and semi-private domains to consolidate them into a single household for the purpose of observing the Sabbath. In some cases, this is a literal wall or a fence, but more often it is a single unbroken wire that encircles an entire neighborhood, usually placed atop utility poles in modern metropolitan areas. It symbolically represents the lintel of a doorframe, and when it's combined with the sharing of food among those living within its boundaries, it makes the entire area into a single private domain for religious purposes. Now, typically, synagogues will distribute matzah once a year as a jointly owned food, since it will remain edible for that entire time period. There are several hundred Erevin in the United States alone, and the largest actually encircles almost all of Manhattan. Originally started on the Lower East Side in 1905, over the years it's grown to encompass nearly the entire island. However, since not all of the sects agree on the validity of this huge Eruv, there are numerous smaller Erevin within it, constructed and maintained by individual congregations. Now, in all cases, every foot of each, each Eruv is inspected on Thursday or Friday, since wind, ice, construction, or even falling tree limbs can break the wire and make the Eruv invalid. Now, if it can't be repaired before the Sabbath, the groups responsible for the maintenance will update the community to let them know it is in disrepair and to act accordingly. In the past, telephone hotlines were common with recorded message about Eruv status, but today the information is often posted on websites. Now, if you think that being an Orthodox Jew involves following a lot of rules, you're right. But they've managed to maintain a faith in a culture for five millennia while adapting to the demands of a constantly changing world around them without losing their identity. If nothing else, you have to admire the inventiveness and sincerity involved in the tools and traditions they've established to keep the Sabbath as they believe God intended them to. As for me, well, my rabbi said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So I'm going to wrap this up, relax, make myself a nice bacon cheeseburger and a side of fried shrimp for dinner. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Like and share, visit me on techweasel.com, and I look forward to joining you again next time. Shabbat Shalom.